Well, in these last four weeks of uh, Lent, we have been talking about uh, our journeys through the wilderness experiences that we have in this life, the wilderness being a metaphor for uh, moments of uh, profound struggle and emptiness and of uh, isolation in our lives. And uh, with the guidance of Holy Scripture, we've... uh, talked about what it might be like to navigate, for example, through the uh, wilderness of temptation in your life, or the wilderness of uncertainty about your future, or uh, the wilderness of dissatisfaction or discontent with how your life is going, and last week with the the wilderness of grief and loss uh, in your life. So, you know, on the upside, by the time we get to Holy Week, you know, you should be in pretty good shape. Uh, But there is one more journey to make uh, this week, and uh, it is also a difficult one, and that is the wilderness of shame in your life, which like all the others uh, can be uh, profoundly difficult, it can be extremely painful, and uh, it can also be rather complicated given the words of the late uh, psychiatrist and pastor's kid, Carl Jung, who described shame as a soul-eating experience in your life. And so when we talk about the wilderness of shame or talk about uh, the fact of uh, shame, let me just clarify uh, with you that shame is not exactly the same thing as guilt, uh, even though we do sometimes use those two words interchangeably. Uh, But technically speaking, guilt has more to do with the fact of something that you or I have done, which is clearly wrong, while shame has more to do with the feelings that we have that are associated with that grief. In other words, uh, shame has to do with the emotion of humiliation or the emotion of disgrace as a result of our guilt in fact. And sometimes uh, shame can be so compelling, it can be so powerful that it leads people uh, to do extraordinary things like hide from their shame or try to lie about it or deny their guilt or or cover it up in in some way, shape, or form. On the other hand, uh, some people have guilt, but they do not have shame. In fact, I think A lot of people in this world have guilt without having shame. But if you stretch that, if you push that all the way to its extreme, a person who has guilt without any shame would be a person we might think of as as like a sociopath or a psychopath who can do horrible, terrible things and yet look you straight in the eye and lie about it and sleep like a baby because they have guilt but they do not have shame. And so... That's one kind of shame that we experience in in our lives. There is another kind of shame that we experience that is not actually based on the fact of our guilt, but it's actually based on our insecurity and not on something that we have in fact done or that is our fault or that is even within our ability uh, to control. And so this is when you're uh, ashamed of your appearance or you're ashamed of the way you look, or you're ashamed of something that you didn't do, but that somebody in your life who is close to you may have done, who you may identify with. Uh, I've been reading a blog from my hometown lately uh, that speaks of the shame that is being felt by members of the local Russian Orthodox Church 
because of the invasion of Ukraine. So that is one kind of shame, and I'm also going to touch on that. But primarily what I want to focus on uh, today is the shame that is triggered by the fact of our guilt and what it means to navigate through the wilderness of shame in your life. And uh, the other thing I want to say is that while shame is certainly a noun uh, which describes the disgrace and the humiliation that we experience and feel as a result of our guilt, shame is also a verb so that you can shame somebody else, which is where we get that uh, famous expression, you know, which comes with this, shame on you, because it's possible for us to shame each other and also to feel the experience and the power of shame in our lives. Well, uh, the biblical backdrop or context, as you heard uh, Joe in the reading just a moment ago, is uh, Psalm 51 for our journey through the wilderness of shame. And Psalm 51 uh, is this very beautiful prayer. It has been set to some uh, very beautiful music. In fact, I remember singing it uh, when I was a kid in church growing up. Every single Sunday we sang uh, the words of Psalm 51 after the gospel was proclaimed and before Holy Communion was uh, ultimately uh, celebrated. But what makes Psalm 51 relevant to this topic today what makes it uh, important and poignant for us is actually its backstory, which has to do with the shame of none other than King David, the beloved king of Israel, the guy who stands up to Goliath, the apple of God's eye. And that backstory is not in Psalm 51. It's further back in the book of 2 Samuel, also in the Old Testament, because in that backstory, we find that David, the beloved king of Israel, is having an illicit affair, uh, which he initiated with a very beautiful but very married woman by the name of Bathsheba, who becomes pregnant by David, while her husband Uriah is a soldier out on the battlefield fighting for the very country over which David is ruling as king. Talk about shame. And so overwhelmed, so overcome is David by the feelings of shame that come from the fact of his guilt that he tries to cover it up. He tries to hide it. He tries to uh, deny it. And he does so by taking this extraordinary measure of having Uriah the soldier, the husband of Bathsheba, brought back from the battlefield so that he can quote unquote reunite with Bathsheba and then conclude that he and not David is the father of this unborn child. Unfortunately, the cover-up fails. And Uriah is so bound by his sense of duty and honor and love for his country that he does not reconnect with Bathsheba. And that leads the story in a direction that goes from bad to worse. Where David is so filled with shame that it overtakes his life. And in that episode of the story, he sends Uriah to the front lines of the battlefield where Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, is killed, paving the way for David and Bathsheba. This is not a very pretty story. 
And yet, just when David thinks he's going to wiggle out of his shame and wiggle out of his guilt, another chapter opens. And it is also very painful. But it is also very helpful. It is a turning point in David's life. When a prophet by the name of Nathan, who David knows well, knocks on David's door and says to him, dude, we need to talk. And Nathan just doesn't talk to David. Nathan actually, he preaches uh, to David. And uh, his sermon begins uh, with a story, as sermons sometimes do. In this case, the story of a rich man who steals a lamb from a poor neighbor so that he can feast on that lamb with a guest in his house. It is the story of a man who is rich and yet he is still greedy. Just like a king or a ruler is bathed in immense power and he still has an appetite that leaves him hungry for more and more and more. And as uh, Nathan tells this story, uh, 2 Samuel says that uh, David's anger was kindled within him. And when he is finished, David looks at Nathan and he says, that man deserves to die for what he has done. Not knowing that Nathan has just set him a trap. And David has walked right into it. And that is the moment when Nathan inducts David, the king of Israel, into the hall of shame. And he looks at him and he says to him, David, that man is you. We would say today that David was busted in a very, very big way. And while that had to be hard for him to hear, given all of the things that he has already done to cover up his guilt, to hide from his shame, uh, I bet you anything it was also hard for Nathan to do what he did, given the fact that David is the king, all right. And Nathan knows that David has the power to say to him, you know what, Nathan, I think I'll also have you killed, just like I had Uriah killed. Well, uh, there's a whole lot more to the story that you can read about for yourself if you want to. But if there's anything that's uh, good about it, it has to do with the fact that as the story goes on, we find that uh, in spite of his guilt, in spite of his shame, David does have a conscience. This guy is not a sociopath. In fact, this is a guy who really does love the Lord. And he now realizes that he has disappointed his heavenly father. And he has compromised his witness as a man of faith. And in realizing that, instead of getting angry, instead of getting defensive, instead of living the lie and perpetuating the charade, David, the beloved king of Israel, he puts down his ego. He lays down his pride. And he says to Nathan the prophet, You're right. I am that man. And I have sinned against the Lord. That is the backstory of Psalm 51, which is a prayer written by David, the king, asking for the mercy and the forgiveness of God. We know it as Psalm 51.
Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Blot out my transgressions. Cleanse me of my sin. I spilled coffee on the carpet of our family room one time. And so, you know, I got that stuff in the blue and the orange can and you put it there. And I blotted it out. So you can't even see where it was anymore. Blot out my transgressions. Cleanse me from my sin. Have mercy on me. Oh God, my sin is ever before me. And then come the words of Psalm 51 that I know best because we sang them every Sunday, Sunday after Sunday. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with your free and willing spirit. And that's how we went to communion every Sunday. Uh, friends, when you think about what it might be like for you to navigate through the wilderness of shame in your life and its power, I have just a uh, a few questions for you to consider. And the first is, does the shame that you experience, does the shame that you feel come from something that you in fact did for which you are responsible, which is your fault? Or is it something that comes uh, from uh, something that you may feel but you did not in fact do. That is not your fault. That maybe not even be within your control at all because people like Carl Jung and others would, would call that neurotic guilt or neurotic shame. In other words, you feel it, but it's really not based in fact. These are the two brothers who go off to war and one is killed and one is not. And the one who is not killed feels guilty for surviving. He is ashamed even to be alive. This is the victim of assault or domestic violence who somehow gets rewired to think that, you know, they somehow deserved uh, the treatment that they got or, or because they have been made somehow to feel that way. Or consider the story of uh, Jesus healing the blind man in John chapter 9 where, you know, the crowd asks him, where, you know, where's the shame? Where's the guilt? Who sinned here, this man or his parents, that he should be blind? And Jesus said to them, no. No, nobody sinned. There's no shame here. There's no guilt here. After which he shines the light of God through the shame and through the blindness. See, we talk a lot about, you know, guilt without shame in our world, our society, our culture. Let me tell you, there's also such a thing as shame without guilt. And there's more of that out there than you might imagine. If you can get to a place where you can truthfully, genuinely, honestly say that the shame you feel in your life is not based on the fact 
of your guilt. That can be the breakthrough of your whole life. It can be a moment of amazing grace, a moment of liberation, a moment of freedom for you, which enables you, by the power of God himself, to navigate through and out of and beyond the wilderness of shame in your life. On the other hand, what if the shame that you feel is based, in fact, on something that you did do in your life, as was obviously the case for David and is so often the case for me as well? When that happens, then my question to you is this. Who is your Nathan? In other words, who is the person in your life who is willing uh, to come to you and knock on your door and say, we need to talk. Who is your spiritual mentor? Who is your compass? Who is your true north with whom you have the kind of relationship that enables you to really receive that, uh, to listen to it? Uh, not because, you know, they want to get you busted or they want to catch you in some sort of a sin or they want to induct you into the hall of, of, of shame or be some sort of a judging holier-than-thou person in your life but because they love you. They they care about your soul. They want to lead you back to God. And, and, and they're not willing to dance around your guilt anymore because what they desire for you is a clean heart that has been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And so when David has this conversation with Nathan, he's able to put his ego away, puts his pride down, and he puts himself in a place of spiritual accountability, not just to Nathan, but, but to God himself. And he says, I have sinned uh, before the Lord. And so when you find yourself in the wilderness of shame because you did put yourself there, then I would encourage you to look for and thank God for the Nathans in your life. And if you don't have any Nathans in your life, go get some. Because as painful as those conversations might be, they can also be the key that unlocks the door of your renewed joy, your forgiveness, and of the grace of God in your life. And even though Nathan is the one who knocks on David's door in 2 Samuel, if you've got these people in your life, you know, sometimes you're going to be the one who knocks on their door and say, you know, hey, we need to talk because I'm guilty. I am ashamed. I need a new beginning. And when David did that, he got something that was greater than his wildest dreams when Nathan the prophet looks at David and says, the Lord has taken away your sin. Because here's the thing. You never want to get stuck in the wilderness of shame. And when you are set free by the blood of the Lamb, the sacrifice of Christ, the blotting out of your transgressions. Hey, there's nothing better than that. And so the last question I have for you today is do you believe that God, by grace, for the sake of Jesus Christ at his cross, through his shed blood, blots out your transgressions, cleanses you from your sin, gives you a new, clean heart, a fresh start, a brand new beginning in your life. Why? Because you are a child of the king. 
You are the apple of God's eye. You are a sinner of his redeeming. You are a saint of his making. You are precious in his sight and honored. And he loves you. And to him, you are worth it. So that you can navigate your way by the grace of God into a whole new life. So that you and I, like David himself, can come out on the other end singing. Because we've been set free. We have been forgiven by the mercy and grace of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that's what it means by grace to navigate through the wilderness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.